Back with the Employment Hour, the number 1-855-821-5900, help at employmenthour.com. And if you haven't caught it so far, Employment Hour in 30 runs 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings on Global TV as well. We are all over media, Lior, and uh, we're going to get to it uh, today. We've got lots of things coming down the, uh, the pike, some emails as well. And first, we always start out with the week that was. Well, John, so here we are uh, doing another show and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, live up to the reputation that we always have about providing helpful, good information because it's been a busy week. Uh, I've been talking to so many people all of this uh, this week, a lot of calls, a lot of emails uh, and uh, a lot of people wanting to know about their rights. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, unemployment is down, which is terrific, mm-hmm. doesn't mean that people don't have questions about their workplace rights. It doesn't even have to always do with termination of employment now people calling me with you know human rights issues harassment issues accommodation issues uh or issues about overtime so if you have a question about your workplace rights if you don't know if you have certain rights if your uh, boss is doing something to you well listen to us right now or call me at the office at any time email me at the office we'll give you my contact information uh, throughout the show today and to give you an example of some of the things that i uh, see and deal with every day let me let me talk about a couple situations in the week that was First situation, uh, John, involved a lady that had uh, worked uh, in, a, in a plant uh, environment for a number of years, and historically she had worked the night shift for reasons that are you know, obvious, I guess. She, she didn't particularly like the night shift, and she mm-hmm. kept asking her employer to, to put her back, uh, to put her on day shifts. Uh, and after a while, they, they relented, and they put her on day shift, and she was very happy. And she had worked continuously on day shift for another year. Uh, you know, worked out great for her, worked out w- well for her family. She, had to, she got to spend time with her kids that way, so it was all good. Well, after a year of working the day shift, uh, the company comes to her and says, well, we decided we need you back on night shift. So uh, you know, we want to tell you that effectively a week from now, you're going back to your old shift, which is the night shift. Obviously, she was surprised. You know, the words she used when she called me was was devastated. She she didn't want to go back to night shift. She is, she had planned her life over the past year that uh, she's working those day shifts, and she called me. She wanted to know, uh, can they do this? What are my options? Can I stop this? So here's what I told her. I said there may not be a way to stop them, to physically prevent them from doing this, but what I can tell you is that they don't have a right to do it meaning that this is actually a constructive dismissal. Now, what's interesting here is the fact that all the company is doing is putting her back in the old shift, the shift that she had previously. Mm -hmm. But that's not something they're still allowed to do. Once they've given her the new shift, once they gave her the day shift, that became the term of her employment. At that point, she is a person working the day shift, which means the company can't then change the terms of her employment to go back to night shift. They can't do that. Now, they didn't have to give her the day shift to begin with. They could have said, no, you're staying on night shifts. Well, we're not putting you on day shifts. Right. But once they did, that's becoming the term of, that became the term of her employment, and they can't change it back. So what I told her to do is this. Explain to them why you can't do it. Uh, put that in writing. Tell them why this will be devastating to you, that you, you don't want to and you cannot work the night shift. If they still say, too bad, we're still doing it anyway, then she and I can treat that as a constructive dismissal, and I can get her out of there with severance. She had been there for six years, so for her, it's probably seven, eight months of severance is what she'd be owed. Uh, so that's her option, and I want our listeners to understand that if your employer changes the terms of your employment to the better, they make it better for you, they can't then take it back. They can't claw it back and decide, now we want to go back to the way things used to be. 
By doing that, they may be constructively dismissing you, which means you can potentially leave with severance. Especially after a year, she's been doing that new shift, which is the good one, right? Well, absolutely. That became a term of her employment. If they did it after a couple of weeks, yeah, you're right. They may be able to say, well, we tried it for a couple of weeks, didn't work out. But once you've done the, the new thing, and in this case, the day shift for, for a while, it becomes a term of employment, John, and, and your employer can't just decide that they don't like it anymore. one 821 5900 is the number. Help at employmenthour.com. You haven't checked it out. We'll get to it in just a bit. Severancepaycalculator.com as well. What else you got going on? Well, I'll tell you about another story that I will classify in the category of, of employers that really should have known much, much better. So this particular person uh, uh, had uh, filed a complaint against his uh, boss for workplace harassment. And he had felt that his boss was completely, uh, you know, he was demeaning, he was bullying, uh, uh, he put him down, he excluded him from meetings, and, and he felt that the treatment was not appropriate. Now, uh, he didn't have a lot of proof, but he did the right thing, which is he went to the, the HR person at the company and said, here's how I, I am being treated by my supervisor. Can you please look into this and do something about it? Well, HR looked into it and uh, decided that, now we can't really verify it. But then they said, because you filed this complaint, we don't think you can continue working with the person that you uh, filed the complaint against, so we're going to let you go. So they let the person go, the one that filed the, mm-hmm. the harassment complaint. That is a horrible idea. That is something you never do. Now, even if the company decides that they can't legitimately verify the harassment complaint, you cannot and should not, under any circumstances, let the person go that's filing the harassment complaint. That's illegal. Okay. You can't do that. The, the whole idea when it comes to workplace harassment is that employees have to be encouraged to bring up these matters. They have to be to feel comfortable and confident that they're not going to be penalized in any way by bringing harassment complaints. Well, if you're going to fire people because they bring harassment complaints, that goes against the whole idea. So this is what we call a reprisal. So a company can't do that. So not only is this person going to be owed substantial severance, there's they're going to be owed some additional damages uh, potentially. There's going to be uh, significant costs with this company to pay. So I want everyone to know that from a legal standpoint, you should always feel comfortable in bringing up harassment complaints. Even if you're not sure if it could be verified, the company cannot and should not punish you just because there may not be enough proof. Now, we can always talk about how we can prove harassment and, and how do we build up a case against the person that's harassing us. So always a good idea to call me if you're being harassed, but you should always know that you cannot be penalized if you uh, bring it up to your boss. Take a quick break here. one 821 5900 is the number, as well as help at employmenthour.com. When we come back, we'll talk about everything employers and employees ever wanted to know about termination for cause. You're familiar with that term. We'll get into it a little deeper after a break. Employment Hour right here at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. The number help at employmenthour.com. If you haven't checked it out yet, severancepaycalculator.com as well. Find out what the real number of your severance should be before you sign anything, and call your if you have any other uh, doubts in that regard as well. Everything employers and employees ever want to know about termination for cause. Let's get through these. Uh, first of all, termination for cause. What is it? John, termination for cause is something that uh, comes up very, very often. It, it's it's a punishment. It's a penalty that an employer can impose on an employee if the employee did something terrible. So termination for cause, John, is the death penalty of the employment relationship in that the termination for cause is the the last ultimate worst punishment that an employer can impose on an employee. 
it's, it's only appropriate if the employee is guilty of very significant misconduct. So just like the death penalty, we don't give the death penalty to someone that commit petty crime. Uh, we give them you know, to, to murderers, etc. It's the same thing with the termination for cause. We don't terminate for cause someone because they were late or because they made a mistake or even because they, they were talking inappropriately to their boss. That's not enough. A termination for cause is really reserved for those people that whatever they did is so bad that it's impossible to continue employing them. So maybe it's a, a series of incidents where uh, they've done a bunch of stuff wrong and the employer warned them and warned them and warned them and clearly they're not getting it. Well, what more can we do? Or in situations where the employee did something terrible like steal or, or, or hit somebody or sexually assault somebody, then, well, we can't employ them anymore. So that's a termination for cause. And, and we'll talk about that. But in most cases, John, and this is what I want our listeners to take from this discussion that, and I see this every single day, what I see is employers pulling the trigger on a, on a termination for cause before they should. Terminating for cause, saying that we have cause. This is bad enough that we have to let you go for cause when the employee did not do something that rises to that level. That, John, would make it a wrongful dismissal. So how difficult is it to establish? It is very difficult to establish uh, a cause, and, and the employer is the one that has to prove it. The employee doesn't have to disprove it. The employer has to prove it. So uh, how does the employer prove cause? Well, first of all, the employer has to prove that the employee actually did what the employer says that they did. You know, allegations, innuendo, uh, rumors, none of that is good enough. The employer has to have proof and be able to establish that the employee did what was alleged. But beyond that, the employer also has to show in most cases that this was not just an isolated incident that this was part of a, a series of incidents. So if I was late today and the employer can prove that I was late today, that may not be good, right? I shouldn't be late to work. But that's not even close to being cause unless I was late so many times and the employer kept warning me and I just don't care. Well, at that point, maybe it is cause. So it is difficult to establish cause. And what I want also to understand, uh, everyone to understand, is that there's no such thing as almost cause or, or you know 98% cause. Either you have cause at 100% or you don't have it at all. And, and if your employer alleged cause, in my cases, in the cases that I see, 90% of the time, 90% of the time, the employer pulls that trigger before they should. one 821 5900 is the number, help at employmenthour.com. So run through some examples, again, of conduct that could be a cause for dismissal. Well, there's conduct that on itself, in and of itself, uh, in isolation, can amount to cause. So I mentioned, you know, violence. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the workplace, someone that, that's using violence against coworkers, well, obviously that's unacceptable and you don't have to give them five chances. Uh, obviously theft. If an employee is stealing from the, their employer, well, you know, again, you don't have to give them several chances. If you caught someone stealing, yeah, that's going to be cause. So there's, there's a number of instances like that where it's, it's going to uh, be cause on its own. Now, the flip side of that, by the way, is situations where they're never going to be cause in isolation. So, for example, bad performance. If you, your performance wasn't good on a, on a project or in a fiscal year, that's not going to be cause, uh, unless, of course, you deliberately tanked your performance, which obviously is silly. Your employer would have to show that, no, they, they work with you, they helped you, and they give you a chance and another chance, and you still can't do it, and, and you're, you're, you're slacking off. Well, maybe then it could be cause. Or, you know, things such, like I said, being late or not talking properly to your customers or your boss. None, none of those are good. Uh, they're not good at all. But it doesn't necessarily rise to the level of cause 
unless your employer can show that they've warned you in the past, they give you an opportunity, uh, and, and, and you still don't do it, maybe then your employer can prove cause. Anything short of that, John, is not cause. Yeah, I mean, you could still get let go for those things, but it would be without cause termination, and you require full severance at that point, right? And that is the difference. Yeah. Uh, termination for cause means you don't get severance. Yeah. The employer can simply walk you out, doesn't have to pay you any severance, and that's that. And, and that's the key. Whereas a ter- uh, anything that's not a termination for cause, you may have done something wrong, but it's not quite all the, le- the way to cause, means you get full severance. Right. And that could be a huge difference. It could be the difference between getting nothing and getting 12 months pay or 24 months pay. So that's why we always have to be careful and ensure that the employer actually has cause. Uh, oftentimes employees think, yeah, I did do something wrong. I did screw up. So there is cause. That's not the test. That's not the standard. It's not the question of whether you did something wrong. It's a question of whether what you did is all the way so bad that it's it's cause. And in most cases, it's not. So that kind of dovetails into this question. That is, is the length of employment, does that have any relevance determining cause? Sure it does. Yeah. Oh. You know, the longer you've worked for the company, the more difficult it is to terminate you for cause. Because the longer you've worked for the company, you it's almost assumed that you've stayed there that long because you, you're a good employee. You know right. what you're doing. So for the employer to show that this long-service employee all of a sudden became so bad that we have to let them go for cause, the employer better have its ducks in a row if it's going to do that. It's very, very difficult to do. So, yes, if you've uh, been there for 25 years and your employer wants to let you go for cause, yeah, good luck with that. You know, if you've been there for three months, yeah, maybe easier. Still not easy, mind you, John, Yeah. but potentially easier. So, yeah, the longer you've worked for the company, uh, the the harder it's going to be to let you go for cause. one 821 5900 is the number. Anytime, get a hold of Lior, member of the team. It is help at employmenthour.com as well. We'll get a few of your uh, emails throughout the show. We'll continue our discussion about things employers and employees ever wanted to know about termination for cause. There's a few more bullet points in that regard. And your emails coming up as well. It's the Employment Hour right here at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto and CHML. 1-855-821-5900, help at employmenthour.com to reach through email as well. Talking about everything employers and employees ever wanted to know about termination for cause. It is an important part of your workplace travels over the next uh, several decades, whether you get let go for cause or without cause, there's uh, fine lines and sometimes there's misconceptions, so we're clearing those up now. As far as chances are concerned uh, when it comes to an employer, how many, uh, how many should they be given an employee before they can uh, terminate for cause? And that always becomes one of the, the main questions that I get from employ- from employers and employees is, you know, how many chances do I have to give this person that's not doing a good job? One, two, five, ten, et cetera, uh, you know, before I can let them go for cause. Now, there's it, it no easy answer because it does depend on the conduct. You know, if I'm late five minutes, it's different than if I'm late an hour and a half, for example. So, uh, you know, if I'm late five minutes, I, the employer is probably going to be expected to give me more chances than if I'm late an hour and a half. Generally, and I'm going to be very general here, uh, generally speaking, I would like to see three instances of warning or or some discipline before the employer can terminate for cause. So generally speaking, if your employer can legitimately show that on three occasions they give you an opportunity to improve, they told you that what you're doing is unacceptable, they told you that you have to improve or else, they've done that three times and it's still, the problem still persists. Well, at that point, we may be in cause territory. Now, mind you, the employer still has to be able to prove that the employee did what's alleged. The employer still has to show that they provided the warning. The employer It's not good enough for the employer to say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I told Bob not to stop doing this. 
the employer actually has to prove it. So it has to be in writing somehow. Uh, and if the employer can do that and they can show three instances of warnings or suspension or some form of discipline, then the employer may be in, in uh, uh, cause territory. And what flows from that is that one instance of misconduct is almost never going to be enough to mm -hmm. be cause unless, as I said, it's something horrible like, like stealing, violence, sexual harassment. Uh, anything short of that is not going to be cause if it's just a one-time thing. Any other advice you give employers with respect to building a case against an employee for cause? Employers now, because yeah, we always get blamed for picking on employers, but <laughs> you, you, you deal half your businesses with employers, right? Absolutely. And so what I tell employers is document, document, document. Yeah. Uh, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. It applies here and applies in other situations. So if you have an employee that's uh, not performing properly, that's doing something that's unacceptable, document it. There's, make sure there's a record of it and make sure that you address it with the employee. Tell them that it's unacceptable. Put that in writing. Tell them what's expected. Tell, if, if appropriate, tell the employee how you're going to help them make sure that they meet their obligations. Okay? So all of that is very, very important. You have to document and, and any discipline. The other thing is if you have an employee that's doing something that's unacceptable, don't ignore it. If you ignore it and then one day you wake up and say, well, now I want to deal with it. Now what this employee has been doing for the last three years is, is too much. At that point, it may be very difficult to deal with it because you're going to be considered to have condoned the behavior. So don't sleep on these issues if you're the employer. Make sure that you address them, that you record them in writing, and you, you know, keep track of discipline. And don't let employees get away with things that you don't want them to get away with. And from the employee side, if your employer doesn't do all these things, and then all of a sudden one day they let you go for cause, well, then you can almost count on the fact that that's a wrongful dismissal. They're going to be entitled to a significant compensation, and that you just shouldn't walk away from your rights. So employer and employees, there's important lessons there. Uh, flip side of that one, what should an employee do if they feel at this point that the employer is kind of you know, papering a file or building up a case against them? Yeah, so I said the employees should paper a file and should yep. keep documents in writing. So from an employee standpoint, if you feel that your employer is doing that, the first thing to keep in mind or the first thing I need you to do is don't just sit quietly and ignore it. So if your employer is saying you've done certain things, now, if you did it, okay, well, it's one thing. But if you didn't or it's not accurate or it's not exactly what you did, say so and put that in writing. So your employer is accusing you of, of screwing up on this particular project. Well, if it wasn't really you and there was a team issue or it was because you, you got the wrong information from accounting, well, put that in an email. Put that in writing. Make sure that it's known. Because if you're, if you're going to be silent about it, the silence is the same as your acceptance. So you can't be silent about it. So if your employer is building a case against you, build your own case. Put in writing what actually happened. Document yourself. And that would put you in the best position to respond to a termination for cause if it actually happens. The worst thing you can do if your employer is building up a case against you is to kind of hide in the corner and forget about it and hope that it all goes away. It's probably not going to go away. And silence is exactly the same as if you're saying, I agree. Even if there is cause, is there sometimes a situation where an employer still owes some severance? So, as I said before, the general rule is with cause, the employer does not have to pay mm -hmm. severance. Right. And anything that's not cause, the employer has to pay full severance. Well, there are situations where even if the company has cause, it still has to pay severance. And that is situations where whatever the employee did is not willful misconduct. So if I did something that's bad, but it's not willful misconduct, I still get not my full severance entitlements, 
part of my severance entitlements. So an example that I've given before on the show, I think, is uh, the real case that I had a few years back, which was someone that was uh, driving forklift and was uh, just a not very good forklift driver. He kept getting into accidents and, and you know, damaging some equipment, and the employer did the right thing. They said, you know, you, you got to pay attention, you got to be more careful or else. And this guy, just not a good forklift driver, kept still damaging equipment. And eventually the company, I think, did the right thing, which is to let him go for cause. And they didn't pay him any severance. But here's the thing. Because he was a bad forklift driver, no one alleged that he was deliberately driving badly. Right. He was just a bad driver. So because it wasn't willful misconduct, he was still entitled to severance. Now, that guy had worked there for 10 years. His minimum entitlements that he had to get in that situation was 18 weeks pay. Uh, now, 18 weeks pay is not as much as his full severance entitlement, which could have been much more than that, but it's still significant yeah. uh, because it's not willful misconduct. So bottom line is, even if you're let go for cause legitimately, and in most cases, if you're let go for cause, it's not legitimate. But if you are let go for cause legitimately, you still may be owed severance. So give me a call if that happens. You always want to make sure we, we dot our I's and cross our T's and not leave any money on the table that you're otherwise legally owed. Everything employers and employees ever want to know about termination for cause. We'll get to a few more, wrap that up, and get into some uh, emails as well. That is help at employmenthour.com, the number one 821 5900 It's the Employment Hour here, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto and CHML. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. The number anytime. The email is help at employmenthour.com. If you haven't tried it out yet, find out what your severance offer should be. The real number severancepaycalculator.com. And we are talking about uh, everything employers and employees ever want to know about termination for cause. Hope you're learning a lot so far. Got a few more bullet points here. And uh, Lior, I know you'll expand on each of these. So uh, the risks for employers if they terminate for cause without having their ducks in a row, as you say. Yeah, so uh, you know, if if your employer, if the employer wants to let someone go for cause, they have to have their ducks in a row. And if they don't, well, a couple of things happen. Uh, number one, they may find themselves to have wrongfully dismissed the employee. So the employer may think, yeah, we can let this person go without any severance. But if they don't have their ducks in a row, they may find out that not only are they uh, paying severance, they're paying a lot of severance. But that's one issue. The other issue is because a termination for cause is such a an extreme measure. Some employers may actually get penalized for alleging cause when they shouldn't have, when they should have known better. So there could be other additional damages, punitive damages, etc., that an employee may have to pay because may have to pay simply because they didn't do their homework, because they were very cavalier about this whole idea of terminating someone for cause. So the lesson for employers and employees is if if a termination for cause is going to happen, that's a big deal. It has to be treated as a big deal, and the employer has to uh, make sure it has its ducks in a row. And, and for the employee, think about it. Uh, if you're let go for cause, so that means that your employer is saying you did something terrible. What does that mean when you go look for another job and they ask you, why did you leave the previous right. company? Oh, yeah, they let me go for cause. Well, wait a second. If you were to say that, then you're not going to be hired again, I guarantee you. So that's why it's so important that the employers understand that there's repercussions to what they do. And for the employee, if you call me and, and we determine that the company lets you go for cause when they shouldn't have, that you were wrongfully dismissed, when I deal with your employer to get you the compensation, one of the other things I, I, I'm going to do is I'm going to get them to rewrite history. And I'm going to get them to make sure that we're not going to call this a termination for cause. We're going to call this a termination without cause. And they're going to give you a, re a letter of reference. So that when you go look for another job, 
you don't have to say I was let go for cause. You can say I was let go without cause, and that's going to help you find another job. The worst thing that can happen is now you're blackballed, or now you have this this huge weight tied to your your ankle mm-hmm. that makes it very difficult for you to find another position, and could even mean your career is over. So that's why it's so important to pay attention to a termination for cause. Employers can't be cavalier about it, can't jump the gun. And employees, if you are terminated for cause, you have to deal with that appropriately. So you get 100 cases across your uh, desk for termination with four cause. How many are actually cause terminations, would you say? You know, it, it's the exception, John. So if 100 cases, probably 10 of them are going to be legitimate wow. and, and 90 of them are not going to be or or, the, or at best they're going to be borderline. So it is very, very common. Probably one of the top two or three things that come across my desk is terminations for cause. And sometimes employers, you know, may have a temper and the company, your boss may have been upset at something that happened today and they say, that's it, you're out of here. I want to see you not paying you anything. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. You don't get to make that decision. You can let someone go. That's fine. But you have to pay them severance. So, John, out of 100 cases, 90 of them, at least based on my experience in the last 15 years, 90 of them are going to be either no cause or, or, or at best borderline. SeverancePayCalculator.com. Give me some details how it works. Johnny, SeverancePayCalculator.com. Close to 450,000 wow. people have used it uh, in the four years or so that, that, uh, we've, that I've had it. So SeverancePayCalculator.com is the go- place you go to uh, if you want to find out how much you're owed if you lost your job or if you are worried about losing your job. It's, it's great because it's, it's fast and it's easy to use. You answer three questions, anyone can do that. It's also free completely and it's anonymous completely. You don't have to put in your name or the company's name and worry that someone's going to find out. No, this is just for your information. You can do that on your laptop. You can do it on your smartphone. You can even download an app if you want or just go to severancepaycalculator.com. It's the first place you go to if you lost your job. It's the place you go to if you're curious or, 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 or concerned Maybe there's rumors of a big restructuring and you think you may be uh, one of the, uh, the, the victims of that restructuring and you want to know what to expect. That's the, where you go to severancepaycalculator.com. And by the way, if you're staring at a severance letter and you're wondering mm-hmm. whether that number is, uh, in the severance letter is accurate, spoiler alert, it's not. Because with most people, they're offered a lot less than what uh, they're owed and chances are the vast majority, in the vast majority of cases, if you're looking at a severance letter, that number that on the piece of paper is a fraction of what you're actually owed. And if you want to verify that, severancepaycalculator.com. Yeah, you can go anonymously, or there's a button at the bottom they can contact you after they've gone through that uh, that quick program. So it's pretty cool, right? Easy peasy. If you wanna, if you if you found out, wait a second, I'm owed more. And if you want to, you don't have to. You press that green button that contacts me, and that way I can get involved in helping you make sure that uh, you actually get what you're owed. Easy, and that's why it makes it so great. SeverancePayCalculator.com, the number 1-855-821-5900, and help at EmploymentHour.com. Email is exactly where we're going to go. After we take a short break here on the Employment Hour, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto and CHML. 1-855-821-5900, the number help at EmploymentHour.com. Sean writes in, says, uh, Lior, my boss, who is the owner of the company, keeps sending me and the other male employees pornographic pictures that he finds on the internet. Smart guy. Uh, this makes me very uncomfortable. What should I do? You know, right John, click. Re- no. Yeah, <laughs> right click, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I, shocks to me. it shocks me still, and, I, and this is not that unusual, but it still shocks me that in this day and age, people will think that that's appropriate. It's not appropriate. It, it, you know, it's gone are the days where you can just do that in the workplace. No. 
Uh, if you and your buddies are somewhere private and you want to do these things, well, I, I'll leave that to you. But you cannot bring that into the workplace, especially when you don't know who is going to be offended mm-hmm. by it. Uh, you know, don't assume that just because someone is a guy, he wants to see pornographic pictures. That's a silly, silly assumption, and, and it's an incorrect assumption. So uh, what, what do you do? Well, first of all, if your employer continues to do that, I think you should absolutely bring it to their attention that you don't want to be part of that and you'd appreciate them uh, stopping to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to you know, be a jerk about it. You say, you know, that's not my thing. Uh, I find that somewhat offensive, so, so please stop sending it to me. And hopefully that resolves the yeah. problem. But in a situation where things continue or maybe you're now being made fun of because you're kind of the, the, the stick in the mud that, that doesn't uh, uh, play along, well, that absolutely could be a constructive dismissal. That can also be a human rights violation. If you're being punished because you don't want to participate in you know, sexual banter and, and exchanges of sexual pictures, that's a human rights violation. And it also creates a poison work environment that uh, means that you can potentially leave with severance. And that applies... Uh, male or female, young or old, uh, whatever job you have, you should not be subjected to inappropriate images, to pornography in the workplace. Uh, it's not appropriate, uh, and it, it does potentially lead to human rights violations and a constructive dismissal. So what I'm going to say to this person that sent us the email, try to resolve it internally. Uh, you know, Be nice about it, put that in writing so there's no questions, and hopefully that solves it. If it doesn't, or if, God forbid, things get worse, call me. I'll deal with it. Uh, because that's completely wrong and unacceptable. one 821 5900 that number, help at employmenthour.com. want to discuss a little bit about uh, hours of work and overtime, because I know you get these questions all the time the, uh, at the firm as well. How many hours can uh, my employer make me work in a day or week? So, John, uh, hours of work, obviously something that, that we need to be aware of, yep. uh, and, and, and it's, it's very important. So let, let's talk about it. For most people... The maximum number of hours that an employee can be required to work in a day is uh, either eight hours or the number of hours that's an established in an established workday. So your employer can make you work more than eight hours as long as that's something that they've established in advance. That said, though, an employer cannot make you work, in most, most cases, more than 48 hours a week. Now, there are exceptions to this. Certain uh, people in certain industries uh, can be made to work more, certain professionals and, and, and managers, uh, etc. But for most people that are not exempt, you cannot be made to work more than 48 hours a week, uh, irrespective of overtime, which we'll touch, about, touch on. Uh, 48 hours is generally the maximum hours of work uh, unless someone is exempt. If I don't want to work that many hours, is there any recourse? Well, here's the thing. Uh, it really comes down to what was the deal to begin right. with. If the deal was I work 40 hours a week uh, and your employer says, now I want you to work 48 hours a week, well, no, they can't make you. Uh, that may mean will they potentially let you go? Well, that could be a reprisal because you, you're, you're, you're being made to do something that you're not uh, required to do. So generally speaking, an employer should not punish an employee if the employee refuses to do something that they hadn't agreed to do. Now, if you had agreed to work 48 hours in advance and now you say, I don't want to anymore, well, that could be a problem. But if your deal was you sign an agreement that says, I work 40 hours a week, and now the employer says, oh, no, no, I want you to work 47 hours a week, you you do have a right to say no. If your employer gives you a hard time, threatens you, punishes you, give me a call. And that's exactly what my next question is. What do you do if that happens? Well, yeah, you, you, you can go to the Ministry of Labor. You can give me a call. Your employer really has to abide by the terms of your employment. And certainly if your employer says, now I need you to work 50 hours a week, 
irrespective of your agreement, your employer can't do that because, as I said, maximum hours a week for most people is 48. So because of that, uh, the, the Ministry of Labor can get involved and, and, and order your employer to back off. I can get involved. Potentially, we can get you out of there as a constructive dismissal if your employer makes you work these crazy hours. So there's a number of remedies that are available to an employee where the employer overreaches and where the employer tries to make the employee work a lot more than they should. Uh, you can give me a call, and I can always direct you uh, in the right way. Once you start getting those hours involved, we're talking overtime. How is that calculated, by the way, for the general employee? So we, we talked about uh, maximum hours a week generally being 48 hours, but let's talk about overtime, separate issue. Overtime for most people is calculated on the basis of any hours worked after 44 hours a week. So any hours over 44. So if I work 47 hours a week this week, then I get three hours of overtime. Now, so it's overtime is calculated generally in Ontario weekly. It's not calculated daily. Oh, yeah. So if I worked uh, nine hours today instead of eight, that doesn't mean I get paid overtime. Uh, it'd have to be calculated weekly. Now, the way it's calculated from a dollars uh, and, and cents uh, standpoint, it's calculated on the basis of time and a half. So if I make $15 an hour, well, then time and a half, uh, whatever that, that is, uh, it's twenty two fifty, let's say, is my overtime rate. So any hours of overtime, I get a time and a half. Same thing applies to salaried employees, John. If I'm on a weekly salary or monthly salary, I still can calculate my hourly rate based on 44 hours a week. And then any hour that I work more than 44 hours, I get overtime. So applies to salaried employees the same way as it applies to hourly employees. Does the employer have to pay overtime, or is there any other way to do it, like throw you a Starbucks card? Throw <laughs> <laughs> a Star- Starbucks card, wow. I'll That'd take that. Be a generous employer. No kidding. So the employer has to pay unless, of course, the employer and employee agreed for right. the employee to take paid time off in lieu right. uh, of overtime. So if I uh, you know, accumulated eight hours of overtime, the employer can agree to give me eight hours off paid time off. So if that, that's what the employer wants to do, that's fine. Now, the employer has to only do that or is only able to do that with the employee's agreement. It has to be a written mm-hmm. agreement. But if you're on the, empl- and the employee and the employer agree on, uh, on paid time off in lieu of overtime, that's fine. If there isn't an agreement, then the employer has to actually pay it. And they have to pay it on the next payroll date after that. And no Starbucks card or, or uh, Walmart gift cards. None of that actually works. It has to be paid. We'll take a, a short break at more of your emails and more in our discussion of uh, hours of work and overtime. one 821 5900 The number, help at employmenthour.com. And if you haven't used it yet, even just uh, to give it a try, severancepaycalculator.com as well. More of the Employment Hour on the way. Global News Radio 640 Toronto and CHML. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at employmenthour.com. Talking hours of work and overtime. Salaried employees do get overtime. I noticed you slipped that in there in the last segment. A lot of people don't know that, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. People people get overtime, full time, part time, salaried, uh, etc. Uh, you know, there, there are people that are exempt from overtime, John. So, like I said, lawyers, accountants, doctors, uh, managers are exempt, and other people. You know, certain. Uh, you know. Uh, farm workers and, and pool cleaners. We talked about that before. <laughs> We've been talking uh, about that for five years, and I still don't know why pool cleaners yeah, are on that pool list. Cleaners. Pool Sorry, cleaners. Sorry, guys. Oh, random. It, it's, it's extremely random. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, there are ex- exceptions. But for most people working in an office, let's say, yes, you get overtime. And some people think that overtime is only for salary to, oh, sorry, for hourly employees. Yeah. No, that's not the case, John. Our, uh, salaried people get overtime in exactly the same way. You simply take whatever salary you make in a week, you divide that by 44, that gives us an hourly rate. 
and time and a half is what you get for any hours over 44. It's that simple. Uh, and, and your employer can't say, no, no, you are on a salary. That includes your overtime. Mm. It doesn't work that way. That's nonsense. You still get overtime, even if you're on a fixed salary, if you work more than 44 hours a week. Uh, now, probably one of the main categories of people that are exempt is managers. So if you're a manager, if you manage people, you have a responsibility for others, then you are exempt from overtime, unfortunately. But for people that are not managerial, you, you get paid overtime. And on that front, I just want to say is that it's not enough for you to have the title of manager because uh, otherwise yeah. I'll just call everyone a manager and then no one has to get overtime. Yep. You actually have to be a real manager. You have to manage people or, or, or at the very least have important decision-making authorities to be considered a manager and therefore to be exempt from overtime. If you have a fancy title but you're not a real manager – you still get paid overtime. It's nice to know you qualify for it if you if you you know just heard that last discussion. But the other side of that is, can my employer require me to work the overtime? Uh, and the short answer is no. They cannot require you. Uh, certainly, if it's not an understood term of your employment. Now, some employers would put in an employment agreement that says, you know, your hourly, your regular hourly uh, schedule is this, but we may require you to work overtime for business reasons. And if that's what your employment agreement says, then yeah, strictly speaking, they can require you to work overtime. But if that's not what it says, and if you haven't really worked overtime before, now they insist on you working overtime, you absolutely can say, no, I can't. My, hourly, uh, my, my hours of work are this. I have other things I need to do. Uh, and they, don't, they can't make you. And if they do make you, that could be a, a reprisal. Uh, or if they let you go because you refuse, uh, again, a reprisal. It could be a wrongful dismissal. So generally speaking, an employer can't just come out of the blue one day and decide, I'm going to make you work overtime. Now, if they've done it before and you've allowed them to do it, then arguably they can do it again. So always be mindful that uh, if your employer is going to open that overtime door yeah. as to what that means in the future. Is this going to be a long-term issue? Is you going to have to do it again? That could be an issue. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Lior's number. Get a hold of him or other members of the team as well. Help at employmenthour.com. Now I know we get a lot of phone calls on the show during the weekend and the weeknights as well. We'll bounce over to another email here. Beth writes in, says my husband works in construction, uh, has never been laid off in ten years, but his employer just gave him a notice of a layoff, saying he uh, maybe called back and work in May. Maybe can he do that? Well, very very good question, and, and uh, you know. Let's clarify this. A lot of people think that uh, in construction, a layoff is legal. Well, it's not. Um, and again, I'm talking about non-unionized employees only. I'm talking about non-union. Yeah. Generally speaking, uh, an employer cannot lay you off if it's not a term of your employment. So if you sign an agreement that says you can be laid off temporarily, that's fine. Or if you're working in an industry that's seasonal, so you always know you're going to have to be laid off because no one cleans pools in, in the winter, for example. That's seasonal employment. Then you can be laid off in, in the winter, say. But in this situation, if the person in 10 years was never laid off before, then clearly it's not a term of employment. So if the company comes today and say, now we decided this year we're maybe particularly slow this year, so we want to lay you off temporarily and we'll call you back in the spring. No, wait, they can't do that. And what I mean they can't is you have the right to treat that as a termination. You can treat that layoff as a, as a termination, a constructive dismissal, and get your full severance right now, immediately. An employer generally does not have a right to lay off an employee temporarily unless the employee signed an agreement or if there's a past practice or it's understood yeah. that it's a seasonal job. So 10 years of employment without any layoffs and now you're being laid off, 
nonsense. And by the way, you mentioned construction there. People assume that just because you work in construction, you don't get severance. Wrong. Think again. Not only do you get severance, you get the same amount of severance as someone that doesn't work in construction. So construction or not, age, position, and length of employment are the factors that go into assessing how much severance you're owed, and you get the same amount of severance. Got about a minute left, so I know you get through this one quickly. Miss uh, Melissa says, uh, I signed my severance offer because my employer told me that if I didn't, I wouldn't get paid anything. I just used your severance calculator, and it says I'm owed another 35 thousand bucks what do oh, i do god uh, right. oh man oh man i hate i hate hate questions like yeah. that because I, there's not much that i can do she signed her severance offer because she felt the pressure she's stuck with it and and people are going to feel pressure because their employer is going to say we're not going to pay you unless you sign it's a pressure tactic it's all it is uh you don't have your legal rights expire just because the company wants it to most people are offered a lot less but if you do sign and you realize like this person did that there were another $35,000, you've given away your rights. So unfortunately, I can't help her in this situation, but I want our listeners to know, please, please, do yourselves a favor. Don't sign any severance offer ever. doesn't matter what you think of it without getting proper advice. And that number to do so, one 821 5900 It is help at employmenthour.com. You'll want to find out uh, the proper number, like Melissa did, severancepaycalculator.com as well. Till next time, right here, the Employment Hour, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto and CHML.